Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Tell this story a lot, too. When we first got the job, the first six months, it was 265 schools we visited uh, every day, whether it was banquets, whether it was clinics, whether it was just visiting the high school. We just got every high school coach and every club coach and even junior high programs to believe and jump on board and buy into what we were doing. And you have to become a fan and and making sure every little kid in the state was wearing Rutgers wrestling. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredients. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Changed My Life. My guest today is the pride of Jersey, Scott Goodell. He's the head coach of Rutgers. And when he took over the program in 2007, Rutgers was kind of on the edge of oblivion. And since then, he's built the program into a top 15 program na- nationwide. They're top four in home dual meet attendance. And if you've ever been to the rack, which my brother and I went to the Big Tens this year, you'll see <laughs> you'll see just how loud that place gets. It's a crazy environment, and it's all Jersey. It really just reminds me of everything Jersey stands for. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Coach Goodale. Fan of the Week goes to James Gloudman. He's a longtime listener of the show. Appreciate you tuning in, James. Last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Competitor Supreme, which is a Dan Gable movie from the 90s. When I was a kid, I watched this thing over and over and over, and I couldn't find it online. But now you can stream it on WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. Just go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com and click on the tab Competitor Supreme, and use the promo code GABLE, G-A-B-L-E, for a free rental. It's normally 2 bucks, but if you use the promo code GABLE, G-A-B-L-E, you'll get a free rental. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the Pride of Jersey, Coach Scott Goodale. Scott Goodale, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it, man. No problem. Look forward to it. So we... uh. You know, you are the first Jersey. Well, actually, Damian Hahn was the first Jersey guy, but you're the, you know, you're you're really in the thick of the Jersey scene there. And you know, obviously, you're at Rutgers now. And I thought it was so cool how you got there from your five point plan that you gave uh, <laughs> that you gave to Billy Ard back in the day. But let's start at the very beginning, man. Let's go back to when you were a kid growing up, growing up in Jersey. I understand you did a lot of sports as a kid. What what was it like growing up for you? That's what it was. It was uh, it was all sports. Jackson is a a really big sports town. Um, 
you know, everything from uh, Vicks soccer, we used to call it Jackson Vicks soccer, to Little League baseball, uh, you know, Pop Warner football, and of course, wrestling in town, just a really, really big deal. So, you know, that was just part of our culture, part of our growing up. Uh, my dad coached every single sport, really, he coached in the fall football, the winter wrestling, and in the spring, Little League baseball. So all through my childhood days growing up, not only myself, but my older brother, he coached all of our, uh, all of our friends. So that was just the way that was just normal to us. And sometimes it was two sports a season, uh, you know, to get changed in a van real quick, a quick change onto the next sport. That was just normal. And it included, that included basketball and things like that. So, uh, just part of our, our, our nature growing up, uh, you know, you mentioned Damian Hahn. That's a little fun fact. Damian Hahn was a Jackson kid. So he actually went to middle school in our town and then later on would transfer to Lakewood. But uh, so I know you had him on. That's a little bit off subject, but that's that whole uh, area. though. Huh? Pretty, that's that whole area. Yeah. And it's a big town. It's, it's, I think it's the second biggest town in the state. So home, a great adventure. A lot of people come there. A lot of people move there back in the, you know, late seventies, early eighties. So it was just a super competitive sports town. Really, really big now holds two high schools. So gives you a little bit of a kind of a background how big how big the town is so just a great sports town that was just part of my fabric growing up it was sports all the time and it never ended your mom must have been a saint then or was she into the sports just as well my mom my mom funny you say that my mom was the assistant athletic director at the middle school (laughs) so she was extremely extremely big and i mean even my sister who's younger was a soccer player a tennis star a cheerleader so it was it was just constant. But my mom was probably more into it. I don't know about more into it because my dad would do anything to win. But uh, my mom was into it just as much as my dad. So it was, uh, you know, when we got in trouble at home, my, my siblings, it was you're grounded. The only thing you could do is go to sports. That's it. So <laughs> we were missing practices and we got in trouble. It was just the fabric and you know, just a part of growing up. And I got to ask, during this time when you were growing up, how big was the Rocky movie? Was that just everything for you guys? Mm. That was huge. It was so big. I mean, we're my son and I are still watching it, especially being quarantined. We're watching it to this day, going back, watching. We argue what's the better one, Rocky, Rocky 2, II, Rocky 3, you know, the whole Clubber Lang scene. And then, of course, Drago. Yeah, that was a big part of how we trained. And, you know, everybody thought they were Rocky, especially in our town. You know, that's what we did on those cold, snowy nights. We'd find a mountain and we'd run the mountain and, get to the top and throw your arms in the air. But Rocky was big, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> what, uh, what do you, I got to ask while we're on the topic, because I'm with you growing up, my mom bought me the five set VHS. It was in a big red box. It had Rocky on the outside. And, but what was your, uh, what's your favorite one when you and the kid get into it? I, I like, I like Drago. I guess it's four. Mm-hmm. I like, I like the Russian, you know, that was pretty cool just because he went away, got away from everybody into the snow, into Russia. And, you know, as a wrestler, you always think about the Russians, right? So yeah. when you're a little bit younger, they were, you know, nobody, really in any sport, you know, I, even back to the early 80s and 1980, the hockey team, Russia, you think of Russia, you think of how great they are in their sports. And so I just, that was for me, that was my favorite one just because of the background of Russia. Me too, man. I, I love that one. And just going mm-hmm. out there training and then you see the scenes of Drago with all the equipment hooked up to him and yes. you're like... <laughs> It's uh, yeah. and once you finally Which get is crazy because that's now it is that's how it is today, right? Everything is like scientific and it's just crazy. So yeah, they were a little bit ahead of it. 
but I, I, I did read that that was a big influence for you as a kid, and I, I just thought it was ironic because, one, all wrestlers, I think, feel that, but especially when you were going through it in the late 80s, early 90s, Rocky was even more popular than it is now. You know, it was more relevant. Yeah. No, no doubt. And here's the thing. I didn't think anybody else was, was doing that. I just thought it was me going out every night in the cold for runs. I like took pride in that. I was like, yeah, I ran five miles in the snow. Like I thought that was kind of normal and maybe, maybe, or not normal. Maybe that was, you know, outside the box thinking, but maybe there were people all over the country doing it. I don't know. But when you're doing it at 12 years old, you know, that's kind of a big deal. You're, you're training pretty hard at that. And nobody was really, I didn't think training, you know, there were no wrestling clubs at that time. Nobody was putting in more. So that was the way to get your extra workouts was, was by running and doing some things outside the box. So I used that movie to kind of motivate me to do it. <laughs> so you ran all the time as a kid, like getting those extra workouts in pretty routinely. I did. Yeah. I just thought that was normal, man. I thought I remember just big Sunday night dinners. My mom would have, and then I'd have to go out and run. That was normal. I, I tell my team every Every year, it's it's normal to run on Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. Like, that's okay. You're allowed to train on those days. It doesn't have to be in a gym or wrestling, but you can go for runs. I just – I did that all the time. That was just – maybe maybe it was me sitting home when I was younger and bored or whatever, but I would always get up and just go for a run. Man, I, I'm with you, though. The, the Christmas and the Thanksgiving workout, those were the easiest ones to go on a run for because you had all your family – kind of taken pride after you know it was a pride thing like oh that guy's so sick yeah. he's gonna go run on christmas and you had the whole family there to watch you yeah and i again i thought that was for in our family it was like we're getting up and running my sister was younger and uh she was our super super athlete and really good basketball player so we would do those things it didn't matter we would run then we'd go play hoops you know and and then, but we'd work out and for me it was about sweating you know i just mm -hmm. had that sweat on i had a hat on uh, maybe even back in the day I was wearing, I don't know if I was wearing plastics, maybe, you know, maybe high school, <laughs> you were allowed to. So I just, yeah, that's how our family thought. You're crazy, you know? Yeah. And then from what I hear, you were a, a little guy, but you were, I mean, little guy in the sense of like 125, 135, but you were the yeah. quarterback as a little guy of the football team. I was, I quarterbacked our pop Warner teams from, from the mighty mites and, and maybe 1978 all the way through being a midget when I was uh, 14 of midgets was the highest level of pop Warner back then. So maybe 14 years old, I was always the quarterback. Uh, and we grew up playing with this group of friends that stayed together from, you know, I guess it was probably 78 to 85 through the pop Warner days. And then we all went to high school and it was just normal that I would continue to be the quarterback. I don't, you know, I, I just, that that's how it worked. And even at a hundred, I wrestled my freshman year in high school at 108. Uh, and I played on the freshman football team. And then my sophomore year, I started and I wrestled 119, but I started as a quarterback, probably weighing 130. So it was just the normal. I don't know. I just, that was my position and I was into it. Uh, I studied it a little bit and I, I went the guy twice every about year. It. And, yeah, no. And that was it. It didn't matter my height. I never even looked at it that way. And then I started hitting a growth spurt. So I started getting a little bit bigger which was good towards my junior. I got beat up as a sophomore. We weren't very good either. So that, that made it worse. But our junior year, we were pretty good. And our senior year, we were pretty good. So I hit a little bit of a growth spurt. So it got easier. But yeah, I was just, I was just always the quarterback. Man, I grew up in a, in a town of about 6,000 people, kind of a Friday night lights type of feel um, yeah. in Western Illinois. And I never played football, 
but man, I love it. And there's nothing like going to a Friday night game and being the quarterback. Yeah. And I know you coached there for many years after. That's a special environment. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it was crazy when I was playing. We didn't have lights, so I actually took pride in in the Saturday afternoon game. I just I, I just loved. For me, it was Saturday afternoon, and then back watching college football. You know, that was my Saturday growing up oh all the time. God. And on, and on Friday night, on Friday night, I would. Uh, I would go out and see all the best high school games in the area. So that was pretty cool for me. That's cool. You guys did that on Saturday. To your point, I mean, in the, I know college football is bigger in the Midwest than it is on the East Coast, but I mean, I'm sure you guys still get into it out there, right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it, man. Football's big in Jersey, PA. It's really, really big, you know? And uh, uh, we, loved, we loved watching college football. Even to this day, my group of friends, and maybe there's eight to ten of us, we, we talk more about college football than we do pro and and uh, that's just that was our Saturdays, you know, our our Saturdays were our high school games. And then let's get together and watch the ESPN game at night, you know, and yeah, and that was kind of how we went about it. Who were, who were your teams back then being an East Coast guy? Believe it or not, I'm a huge Florida State fan. I loved Bobby Bowden. And then on the other side of it, I loved Deion Sanders. It's crazy. And my my grandparents had a place in Miami. So we'd always go to spring ball at the University of Miami. So my dad and my brother loved the Hurricanes. My cousins loved the Hurricanes, and I loved Florida State. I always had to go against them, right? So yeah, yeah. I just love I love Florida State. I love Bobby Bowden. I read all his books, and uh, it's weird. I, you know, they were the hot team in the '80s. You know, starting in like '86, '87, '88, and uh, that's when I really got into it. So that's who I followed. That's why I just I loved watching them, and I loved Dion, and and really all those guys. There were some great teams. Plus, they had a great uniform and logo, too. I always liked yeah, their colors, yeah. man. Um, <laughs> but you're right, though. I'm thinking back. Uh, the documentary, The U, is one of my favorite sports documentaries, and that was right in that era of the kind of mid to late 80s and how Miami football just came out of nowhere. So um, surprised you didn't jump on that wagon, man, but you had your loyalties to the Seminoles. I did. I did. Well, I was, we were trying to always beat them. And we, you know, we was always about that wide, right? 91, I think was wide, right? 92 wide, right? We missed so many field goals, but I remember those days, uh, in uh, there was usually, uh, I went to, I went to one game in 94, Florida state at Miami with Warren Sapp and Miami won. But I remember those days, our day would stop for my brother and I, and, uh, we would sit down and get fired up. It was always a noon game, ABC, uh, probably Brett Musburger on the call or who you know, and, <laughs> and we would, I, I just remember those days like it was yesterday. It was unbelievable. Florida state Miami was a big deal. God, college football. You're, you're making me miss sports yep. right now and I'm hoping it's back, I but, know. uh, Saturday yeah. football is, is, and I'm with you. I am a diehard bears fan, but I think I get yeah. more excited for like the, the noon game and then that Saturday night game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, wrestling wise, you went to lock Haven, um, couple mm-hmm. times state place winner, and the one thing I've read about you about your career at Lockhaven, and I've I've just picked this up from articles, is that when you talk to your guys, you think back to yeah, great times. You had ninety nine wins, national qualifier a couple of times, but you had a lot of regrets. And I'm just curious, what yeah. what about that? Is it just being a knucklehead and, and partying too much, or what? What were some of your regrets looking back on? Yeah, it? no, no, it's weird. I I never I never got into that dirt from October first through the national tournament, I never got into it. I never got into the scene of partying. That was, that wasn't it. It was this sports evolved so much. And I see what our guys get now from a, a mindset training. So important, a sports psych, uh, having them in our room, you know, once a week dealing with our guys and their anxiety and their nerves and, 
and all that stuff. I always thought I was working hard, but I see some of the best guys in the country clearly being around it. And even when I was at Lock Haven, you know, Colot was just coming with us. His last two years were with us. So I got to see just a whole different level of, of training and, and just a, a 24-7 lifestyle. And I would really, my regrets probably were maybe never really believing I was one of those top guys. I was always ranked. You know, my junior and senior year, I was always in the top 10. Uh, but I always would give it, you know, my knee, my senior year, I would use it as, a, as an excuse. Well, you know, that was 1995. You can't, nowadays, there's guys wrestling with torn ACLs. You know, I think of Johnny, he's <laughs> wrestling with a torn. And that's, that's his mind, right? That's all his mind. So when I say my regrets were, I just, I never, I, I thought I was buying in. I, I obviously have an incredible relationship with Coach Poff and Rocky and Ricky Bonomo and, and all those guys. And, and I did, I worked really, really hard, but there was always something missing. As I look back now at the time, you don't think of it, you know, right. my diet, my nutrition was nowhere near the way I talk nutrition with my guys now. Right. You know, it's all about three good meals a day and getting eight hours of sleep. And there's so much more to it than just technique and wrestling. There's just so much more to it. That part. I really, I excelled at. I got, I was, I enjoyed that part, but I did nothing with my nutrition, my sleep. You know, I was, I was too busy worried about uh, running my late night radio show for an hour, which was all sports. You know, that was important to me. <laughs> so talk to I me just, about I, that. Those, talk to me about that. I didn't yeah, see that. I had my own radio show for a year at college. It was all, I tried being Mike and a mad dog. I grew up wanting to be Mike and a mad dog, <laughs> you know, in Jersey and New York area that's a big deal, right? You know, you grow up listening to radio sports radio all day, every day. And that's kind of what I was doing, man. I had guys on there that would, that would work with me and, and screen some phone calls. We get phone call and it was in the middle of central Pennsylvania. So you're getting calls from the Penn state people, you know, and we didn't really have the technology to screen everybody. So, but it was fun. You know, we talked sports, we talked Eagles, Steelers. Um, so it was cool. So anyway, I think I was more, Again, during the day, during the wrestling practice, I was locked in and was really, really into it. But my, I think some of my regrets are, and I don't even know if I should use the word regret. I just didn't know. I didn't have the knowledge of nutrition and your body. And, and probably more importantly is the whole mindset, you know, the whole mindset and and believing that you were the best guy in the way, in the way our guys take the mat now with no fear. And of course there's anxiety and of course there's nerves. I just did a terrible job of managing it when I wrestled. So that has changed me as a coach. And I just think about all those shortfalls, so to speak, and how we train our athletes now and deal with our athletes now and, and all that stuff. So it's so uh, different, maybe that's isn't it? kind of why that comes out. Yeah. It's just so different. It's a totally different world. And I wish I knew then what's the saying. I wish I knew then what I know now, you know, cause I think I would have been a lot better. Yeah. It's, I think that era, like you were in the era where for another 10 years, the thought of, and really up until, you know, Kale got to Penn State, I think people thought that the Gable method of just running all the time and all that was, was the best mm -hmm. way. It, it is. Yep. There's a mental toughness to that, but I actually just had Yanni on the show last Friday and I went down the rabbit hole on him and like he didn't do much running or lifting. Him and his dad just worked on technique yep. for hours a day. And I was like, I never spent that much time on technique. Never. And yep. so it's exactly. just, uh, these kids are just so committed right now. So yeah. committed. And it's, and, it, and it's so different. I think back of, uh, you know, I think of Yanni and, and Ashnall and Joey McKenna and those guys. Like when I got done with my season, I'd finish up school. I'd come home and work. 
you know, there were no, there were no wrestling clubs really back then. I'd get a workout here and there, but it was mostly lifting and running. And I wouldn't really touch a mat. I wouldn't, you know, I'd go to, if I wanted to go to a freestyle tournament, which I was into for the most part, like, I don't know if you remember Espar nationals, which yeah. is really now university. Yeah. yeah. So I would train at Lock Haven. I would go to Espar's every year. I'd stay at school. If we were still, if we were out of school in May, I would go to Espar nationals and that would be it for me. I'd come home and it would be, you know, every now and then I'd roll down a fox catcher and train with those guys. But for the most part, I never got on a mat. So I think those are some of my regrets. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all year round, although I thought I, I was all year round, but it was more lifting and running for me as opposed to him doing technique. I would love to have just gotten a mat and talked technique, and, but I never did that when I, was, when I was competing. What was it like to have Colat come in? Were you a junior or sophomore when he got there? I was, he, he redshirted my senior year. So he stayed with me, uh, on his recruiting trip. And I mean, it was pretty clear. I think he was going there as a smaller school. It was good for him. Uh, but he would change, he would, I guess there was an agreement. He would work with us, of course, but every now and then he'd go back to Penn state and train with Abe, who was a really good partner for him. This was during his redshirt year. But I remember this is a true story too. Like he would like, because I had to wrestle Glenn Pritzloff. We were getting ready to wrestle Penn State. He's like, I'm telling you, you could be Pritzloff. I killed him the other day. And I would think to myself, yeah, but I'm not you, Carrie. Like, you could kill a lot of people. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so he was just so special. And he's just so, he was so, so talented, especially on his feet, you know. And I would always get frustrated. Like, All right, let's go on the map. But he would just work and work and wrestle so darn hard. And those are some of the things I remember. And he, you know, he just carried himself and like, listen, I'm going to win this thing. And I left and he won two titles. And, and obviously the rest is history. I think the year I left Lockheed and got, we were number five in the country. We finished fifth in the country and all those guys, Brian Lightfoot, Mike Rogers, they all placed Mike Guerin. They all placed that next year. Uh, so it was, uh, you could tell we were starting to turn around and we got Colot and, and that really just put us over the edge. So it was a really, really cool experience, but he would share a lot. He spent a lot of time, still with his Penn state guys training with those guys on his really his off time. You talk about training. It was two or three times a day for him. Yeah. He is a, is a really interesting character in the sense of yeah. just how confident and committed he was. Like some of the stories yeah. about him as a kid going to Midlands, it's, it's crazy. And then you I hear know. about the stories of him, at the Olympics, it makes your stomach sick to even imagine how bad he got hosed. Um, yeah. I've had a uh, I've had Sinshiro Abe on. That's the name people forget about. But dude, that guy's story of coming over from Japan, not speaking a lick of English, and then figuring out top and bottom—that's a whole story in itself, right there. Yeah, and those—that was my era. So seeing him wrestle all the time, that was—he was really, really good. And you're right; he probably doesn't get that that limelight or share the same uh, buzz and especially some of the guys now are, are getting, but man, he was, he was awesome. And if they could go back, I always think of those flow films and Colot's documentary is awesome. And I, I kind of not, I didn't really live it with them, but you know, the days at lock came obviously, but I would love for them to do something on, on Abe because he was a special cat, no doubt. And those Penn state teams, that was an era. I mean, obviously Penn state's great now, but that was an era where for a couple of years there in like 93, 94, mm -hmm. they thought yep. they could beat Iowa and had a good chance of beating Iowa. Yep. And that's Gable's only loss yep. at Carver is to Penn state. And so those yeah. teams would go in there. And I mean, you think about the Jeff Prescott, Terry Brands match. Oh my God. That's yes. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's it was crazy. And those were the teams we competed with. That was a big deal. Like, we would host Penn State, 
you know, and then obviously go to rec hall, but we, it was a back and forth, like Penn state lock came over wrestle every single year. And that was a big deal. We finally beat them our senior year, which is crazy. Wow. Because were, like you said, in 91, 92, 93, they were, they were awesome. And, and uh, you know, it took a couple of those guys to graduate, but we picked them off at rec hall for the first time ever. Uh, I'll never forget that night. That was a pretty special night. The place athlete, must've been you know, loud that the, night. Yeah, you pretty much booing us. You know, we were at their place, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty loud. They were they were going through a tough stretch. You know, they graduated all those guys, but at that, you know, who cares? I don't. We didn't care. We beat Penn State. That was good enough for Lock Haven. That's the great thing about a dual meet. You can it could be like the national duels or just some high school duel. You just happen to go into, and if you just know a couple storylines, you can get into it. It doesn't matter who's wrestling or how good the guys are. It's just a fun yeah. environment, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like a good duel, man. I say that to this day. I I wish they met more in college. I really, really do. Uh, that's my side of it. I know people differ on that opinion, but there's not – everybody can relate to a good duel meet. I'll tell you, everybody in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, they can relate to a good duel meet. There's nothing like a really, really good duel meet. So what's I like? wish they would go back to it. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, what what's it like when you guys throw down with Princeton? That's a pretty big one, right? Yeah, we wrestled them this year, last weekend of the season, in front of 3,000 people, you know, on a Sunday night. So that was a big deal. We sold out at Ryder this year, we, you know, in Jersey. We, that was a sold out. It's not a big gym, but we sold that place out. And we wrestle a lot of our duels in front of, depending on who the opponent, if it's Okie State or even last year with Princeton, uh, probably because of Kalodzic, Ashnaught, one versus two, but there's 8,000 people there. So people can relate to a dual meet and they show out, you know, being in this Big Ten conference and, hosting Penn State and Iowa and Ohio State. Those are those matches are six, seven thousand every single time. So the Jersey fans get into a good dual meet. It's two hours. You're not not even two hours. And you're not spending your whole day in a gym and it's great wrestling. Boom, we move on. Even the high school duels are great. You know, even some the high school duels are a big happening in towns and uh that's just the way it is. That's kind of the culture in this state. Well there's a lot of pride in Jersey wrestling and the first time I noticed, really noticed Rutgers wrestling was, I think it was, what was the year Marinelli and um, Richie Savage, Richie Lewis? Richie, Richie Lewis, yeah. Do you remember that one? That uh, was at Rutgers. That was that huge. Was, that was, yeah, that was, man, we were just talking about it. So that was 18? when Big Tens were in Iowa. Yeah, maybe it was six, seventeen. Big Tens were in Iowa. We We had 10 guys go to that tournament. So I remember that year. I think that was probably overall our best team. So it's probably 16, I think, maybe 17. We started in the Big Ten in 14, hosted Iowa. It was 17, I believe, 2016-17 season. Yeah, that place was oh. that was electric that night, no doubt, because I thought we could have won that duel. Yeah. And Marinelli beat, Mar- Marinelli beat Richie, right? Yeah, and he had just won the U23 Worlds like a month before yeah. that. And, but yeah. it was way down at a different weight class, and it was weight was in flux a little bit. And uh, yeah. the bull was coming out as a freshman, and no one really knew what was happening. And, <laughs> yep. I just remember how yep. uh, how scrappy the Jersey guys were and how the fans were. I'm like, God, this is awesome. Um, yeah. And so if we kind of go back to the 90s, you know, you graduate from Lock Haven, and I've heard you say that your whole life you knew that you wanted to be a teacher and a coach back in mm-hmm. your hometown. Is it Jackson High? Is that what it's called? Jackson, yep. Jackson, Jackson High School, correct. So at this time, though, you know, is Rutgers wrestling even on the radar? Is it even a blip on the radar at this time? Or what's the state of it right at that time? As I'm getting recruited, you mean? Yeah, so like after you're done, like you get you go back to 
back to Jackson. You're you're oh, the I assistant go back coach. To Jackson, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. once you're uh, once you're a professional no, and you're no. kind of doing your thing, are they even on the radar? Yeah, not really. And I had some really really good guys that you know they weren't really uh, really recruiting. So I had a I had a relationship with Coach Sachi, great man. I just no, they, he never really recruited the Jackson guys. Uh, so I, they weren't really. Yeah, I'm fresh out, so I'm following, staying in contact with all these guys that are at college programs. So, you know, I ne- nah, for me, I never really followed Rutgers wrestling, to be completely honest with you. I mean, they were there, and was, but I never really followed it at that time. Yeah, and that's kind of what you what you hear when you talk to people and you read about it was that they were there, and it wasn't wasn't much thought. But like now, you realize what you guys have built there, and how again, how much pride there is in Team New Jersey at Fargo, and. You know, the fact that Jersey's got yeah. one class, you know, people love that. So I'm like, it's a perfect environment. But before you got there, you started a little high school dynasty of your own. You were the you know, the football coach and you said you love that. And really, you were like the most content yeah. person in the world. You had a winning wrestling program. Yeah. Your sister was the basketball coach. Uh, your wife was the guidance counselor. Like you didn't even have a thought of doing anything else. I really did it, man. I loved I people would make fun of me growing up. And they're like, listen. Goodell, you're going to come back here and be a gym teacher. And I was correct them and tell them, no, it's a physical educator, but you're right. That's what I'm going to do, man. That's what I want to do. I want to come here and coach. And I never even, when I first got back from Lockheed and people, you know, I, I would go on a couple interviews. I have no idea why I just did it because my mom wanted me to get the, you know, all that, you know, it'd be good for you to go on a couple interviews, see what other schools have. And I just did it to do it for the experience, but I knew I was going to Jackson and, that's all I ever wanted to do. They created, I was a permanent sub even for the first year. And I just wanted to coach there. And uh, so that, that's what I did. And, and I had everything I ever wanted. I never wanted to, I never thought about leaving. I was set up. We were just getting ready to be really, really good. I mean, we were good, but we were just, I truly, I say this a lot. And I don't know, I'd love to do the matchup, but I really thought we could beat Blair Academy. Uh, that year I left, we had such a good team. I think seven of those guys were like D1 guys that we had. So maybe not, but it would have uh, it would have been a match. Would have been a good match, and had some pretty good rivalries with some Illinois schools when we go out to the Clash in Minnesota. Carl Sandberg, we'd wrestle Montini, we'd wrestle. So those were that's what we were doing, man. We were we were doing, a, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved coaching football, and and I loved being around in the spring. You know, I coached golf for a little bit, and then uh, I did a little softball, a little bit of baseball. But I just loved being around the student body at Jackson and. A lot of my friends were teachers, so it was just it was a natural, natural fit, and didn't even have a thought of Rutgers. To be completely honest with you, how far is Jackson from Rutgers? Like, do you still live in the same house that you did, or are you totally uprooted to get to Rutgers? No, I I, I moved to Tom's River, uh, which is a little bit further south. So Jackson's probably forty minutes to Rutgers. I'm I'm about fifty minutes to Rutgers every single day. Okay, um, yeah. So how did did you build the program? up from nothing um and if so how did you how did you do that the wrestling program at jackson because it's like what i read that you no. guys were go ahead no we it was it was a great great tradition it's only had five head coaches so bernie Ryder was the first coach there and in the jersey shore which is a big sports area a big wrestling area it's kind of like the lehigh valley you know very 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 similar uh but it was, there's a lot of tradition at Jackson, a lot of tradition. And we went all those years. We never really, we never won a team state championship. We never won. I think in 2000, we, 
we won our second short conference. Bernie Ryder won one. Uh, Mr. Ryder was there from 1966 to 81. He's a legend uh, in the area. And then Coach Pepe took over, Coach Pafirio, Coach Ayers, and then myself. I wrestled for Pafirio and Ayers while I attended Jackson. But that's really the tradition. There's been five of us since 1966. Um, and now it's obviously Doug with Stanley. But, you know, it's, it's a great tradition of wrestling. Super, super competitive. Always, you know, one of the better teams in the state of New Jersey. So there was a lot of tradition there. We just never won something really, really big. You know, we were never ranked that high in the country. Obviously, I don't even know if they started doing national rankings back when Mr. Ryder was there. So who who knows? But yeah, it was a really, really good tradition that just needed to be continued. You know, it was in a really good spot when I took over. I was actually the assistant for five years before I took over. Okay, and it's, you know, you mentioned some of those Illinois teams. It reminds me, I'm actually doing a documentary podcast now on the Oak Park River Forest team. Kind of reminds yeah. me of of that because they were, you know, good team, but then, you know, Mike Powell took them to national prominence um, right yep. before that Carl Sandburg era because, you know, Illinois and Chicago specifically, the Catholic schools always dominated, but then Carl Sandburg yep. was the first public school to be a national the power. Through, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even wasn't, we went, you know who we'd wrestle every year? Every year they put us with Glenbard North. We Another wrestled tough them. team. They were pretty good, right? Very that good. Was, Ramos was on those teams. Yes. Uh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. 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 yeah so that's so. that's another public school that kind of was always really solid. They never won it, but yeah. um, there was this one conference, the Chicago Catholic League. They won the team mm-hmm. state title like 15 years in a row until Carl Sandburg. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's the scene for Jersey wrestling, Jersey high school wrestling? Can the public schools recruit? Do you have to live in the school district? How do, how do teams build up, um, build powerhouses like that without recruiting? Yeah, it's, it's gotten hard. It's crazy. It seemed like right when I left in 2007, 2000, I mean, I never heard of Bergen Catholic. I mean, we heard of them. Really? Bergen Catholic, Gail Barton. Yeah, they were never even in the mix when I was wrestling. As far as a top five program, you know, it was, it was Jackson, Brick Memorial, Paulsboro, uh, Phillipsburg, and I'm missing South Plainfield was super good. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but it was never a Catholic school. And then as soon as I, you know, I left in 2007, eight was my first season at Rutgers. I guess the Catholics started really building and, and getting good. And then of course, even Long Branch 2009 was number one team in the state of New Jersey. They're a public school. So it probably took till 2010, 11, maybe until those Catholic schools really started to break through. Camden Catholic was the one school that was always really good down in South Jersey. Uh, but for the most part, they weren't really a, a threat at all until like 2010 or 11. And now of course they can recruit and everybody's going there and it's become just like I'm sure in every other state, you can't compete with the Catholic schools, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever. So it, that holds true in wrestling too. It's really, really difficult to put together a great public school team now uh, because anybody, any time, you know, anytime there's an opportunity for a really good kid, there's always a a, a parochial p- picking out them to come there because they'll wrestle a better schedule. They'll get more looks from colleges. That's kind of what they're thinking. So I, I, we never believe that at Jackson. If you're a Jackson boy, you stay home and you wrestle through your hometown because we had such a good tradition. So we didn't lose many and, and uh, we probably got more than we lost for sure. As far as people coming into our place and you couldn't tra- you couldn't recruit back then, but you know, you had a, uh, you had the stigma about your program and, and people wanted to wrestle there. And if it could be done, they did it. And that's kind of how we went about it. 
And so you won with a lot of homegrown talent during those years. Yeah, and every now and then there will be a kid who came in, like Jamel Kinchin transferred in, but he was a, a school next door in Manchester. that just parents just actually moved. You know, mm-hmm. they bought an apartment in town, and that's how you did it. It wasn't like we recruited him, you know. Uh, but he made us really good, and then his brother wrestled for me. Uh, so, you know, there was a bunch of Kinchins that came through that weren't really Jackson kids, but, you know, they weren't really recruited. You know, they weren't recruited at all. They just wanted to wrestle for Jackson, and that's kind of – you just picked up and moved and got a new residency, and that's how it worked. God, it sounds like such a good a good place to grow up, Jackson, because it's like you got the family support, everyone in town's involved. Yeah. Like, it just it seems like a great place. Um, but then yeah, so let's so 2007 fall or spring of 2007, you get a call from Billy Ard. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have no idea who that is, but I think he was a football player, yeah. right? Football player for the New York Giants, won a couple of Super Bowls. Uh, yeah, and big into the high school wrestling scene. His son was an up-and-comer wrestling for Wachung Hills, and he just happened to be great friends with the athletic director. At Rutgers? At Rutgers, yep. Bob Mulcahy. So, and obviously I know the answer to this question, but what did he call and ask you, and, and how did kind of that transpire into the five-point plan? Well, that's exactly what he was. He said, listen, you know, Rutgers, they actually ended up, and I kind of get the story because it's been so long now, but the coaching staff there, John Saatchi and Coach Ryan, saved the program. So they were going to drop wrestling at Rutgers the year prior. You know, these guys came up with reasons why you can't drop wrestling in New Jersey. It's the state university. you got to have wrestling. So you can't drop wrestling at this. So those guys saved the program, Coach Saatchi and Coach Ryan. So at that point, they wanted to make Rutgers wrestling relevant. You know, now we saved the program. We got to make this thing relevant. We just can't keep doing what we're doing. And at the time, coach Saatchi had 3.2 scholarships. He might've been full-time, but coach Ryan was a part-time guy. You know, he'd come over at three 30 and, and coach wrestling <laughs> practice. They had a part-time assistant coach. So that's the way it was run. You know, you could, they're downstairs, a college have gym, which is an excuse. Cause that's what we did for 13 years, but the facilities weren't up to the par of, of anything else around the country. And again, they had no scholarships, probably had really no academic support. They couldn't get kids in. So there, you can't really be successful. So Billy Art asked me, come up with a five point plan. This isn't for me. Now that they saved the program, coach Sachi's still the coach. How can we make, so I don't know if he just asked me, I don't know if he asked other people to give their input because Billy Art was connected with the edge school of wrestling, Ernie Monaco, which is a legend in club wrestling in the state of New Jersey. Uh, they just did a documentary on him for flow wrestling. So he was tight with them. His kid wrestled for them. And I'm sure he had a little bit of an input, but he would ask people and he asked me to come up with a five point plan, how to make us relevant, how to make, and he has no, he has no connection to Rutgers. You know what I mean? He went to Wake Forest. They don't even have wrestling. His kid was coming up and he just happened to know Bob Mulcahy He threw the giants. So that's what I did. It's well documented now. I wrote it over a couple bottles of wine with my wife on a napkin. I gave it to Coach Leonardis, who's been with me from day one for the last 13 years. Told him make me look good. Don't you know? Don't make it look too good, but make it look, you know, clean it up a little bit. He printed it up, typed it up, whatever the case might be, and I handed it over to Bill Art, and that was really it for me. That was that's as much as I thought. It was pretty good. It was a I thought it was a five point plan that was pretty in depth on what any college program should probably do, but especially New Jersey being its location, where it's at, the, the state of the you know wrestling 
at the high school level in the state. And I, I just, I thought it was pretty well thought out plan. I handed it over and that was it for me. I went on my day. It went on about my business of being at Jackson. Coach, shoot me straight though. At this time, you got to admit, there's some lingering thoughts that maybe they're looking at you to, to lead the Rutgers job, or was that still not even a thought? No, because he was still the coach. Now, as it turns out, after I hand that plan over, I think Coach Sachi resigns maybe a month later, and he didn't want – the the athletic director told me straight up, we, it would be better if Coach Sachi was still here, like for another couple – to finish out another year or two. You know, they didn't expect him to leave. I just – that's just, I don't know why he left. I never talked to him about it, but so they would say that to me, like if, it would have been good if he stayed another year, you know? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, but here we are. So he kind of decided to retire and, and, it, and I'm sure it had a lot to do. And I don't know this and I'm not speaking for him, but just being up against it and getting no support, you know, just getting no support. I could tell on my interview, there was not a lot of support for wrestling and I would have never taken a job if I was going to have the same thing. I was told some things in the interview process as far as scholarships and coaches and what, what we could do if this kind of happened. So, or, or if you, you know, if you're going to do what you say you're going to do, this is what could happen. So really basically on a whim, you know, on a handshake, I kind of accepted it and that's kind of how, how we went about it. But no, when I handed that plan over, it was never in my mind, I'm going to be the next head coach. Never. Man. And I, I didn't realize that, yeah. Division one programs, I thought all Division one wrestling programs had 9.9 scholarships. No, no, no. He had 3.2 scholarships, Kosachi. I mean, how could you possibly win? You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. So are there programs out there now still that don't have 9.9? Yes. Absolutely. So how that's many what you people think? talk about. I would, I would venture to say, and man, this is a guess, but I would be, venture to say there's only about 50 to 60% of the programs are fully funded. I'll bet you 30 to 40, 30 to 40% of the programs do not have a full amount, allotment of scholarships. Man. I don't know if that's, but I think of the small schools, right? Lock Haven, Bloomsburg, Clarion. And I wrestled in that conference. So of course I think of those schools right away, you know, who are not fully funded and, and uh, like when all this stuff went down. Yeah. Well, Ryder, Ryder, I believe is fully funded. Okay. Good. Ryder, I believe is fully funded. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, that's what I thought about when they thought about getting these guys an extra year with this virus coming out. And I just thought about those other schools that can't afford 9.9. How are you going to give the seniors a scholar? You know what I mean? Give the guys on their team. Right. It's a lot of money for a university to, so I thought about that right away, man. I thought that's going to be hard to do. And it's already an uneven playing field. It's going to be, it's going to get worse. So that's kind of what I thought about. So did Rutgers step up and deliver the 9.9 right away, or was it a slow progression? No, it was a slow progression. I remember raising money. If if you give me a scholarship, I'll give women's a scholarship too. So I would raise money for two scholarships those first couple of years, and we would get one and women's would get one. And then the year after that, it was a women's would get two, we would get two. I was raising money uh, you know, for, for, some, for some women's programs at Rutgers, but I didn't care as long as we had more scholarships. And then Tim Pernetti came in and said, we got to make you full. We got to fully fund you right away. Go out and get these guys. And we were having some really, really good recruiting classes. We worked with financial aid early on to make sure our guys got some good financial aid. But yeah, it took us like two or three years until uh, Tim Pernetti, the new AD came in and just got us fully funded right away. And that was a huge, huge day in our, uh, a huge day for our program, for sure. That was a big deal. You guys have made the most of it because 
I got to think you're the most successful sports program at Rutgers, the wrestling team. I mean, I mean, there's some good ones. Women's soccer is really, really good. You know, I don't know. And yes, but for the most part, we've been pretty successful over the long haul for the last 10 years. And uh, yeah, so that's but I mean, women's soccer does a really, really good job. And, and it's so not to slam the other pro- not to slam the other yeah. programs, not at all. But I mean, think about Rutgers is top 10, top 15 every year in wrestling as a division one yeah. program. That's an incredible thing. And the fact that they were really in oblivion before that, you know, and before you got there, um, just incredible. And I know I'm asking because I know I'm going to get a lot of people to ask me, do you still have the five point plan? And what was it? I do have the five-point plan somewhere. I actually broke it out a couple years ago. Somebody did an article, and Coach Leonardis actually broke it out for me, but I have it somewhere. Uh, But it was everything from recruiting to academics to summer camps to scholarships and to – did I say coaching staff? Mm -mm. On the top of my head. No. Coaching staff, right? So, like I told you, Coach Sachi was full-time. His assistant was part-time. So, coaching staff was a big thing. So, recruiting, coaching staff – uh, scheduling camps uh, and academics. Those are all on there. And off the top of my head, I don't remember the order to be honest with you, but uh, those, that was the five point plan. I went in depth on all of them. Building a fan base was huge. I thought that was super important to be able to do. I remember my first couple of years talking about season tickets and they were like, that will cost us a lot of money. We're not doing that. I said, okay, you're going to do that one day. You're going to do that. And sure enough, uh, you know, we're top five in attendance for the last four years. So uh, it was a good thing they did that and listened to me on that one because I thought that was pretty important. I mean, listen to that. Top five in attendance. Like that's – I don't know what the other five schools are. You know, Iowa, Penn State, Oklahoma State. But after that, Those are knows? three. Those are the three in Ohio State. In Ohio, Ohio State. State. So, like, you're out drawing Illinois, Minnesota, like Iowa State, yeah. you and I. It's, like, unbelievable. So how – I mean, it sounds blunt, but how'd you do it? I mean, how does one start to build a fan base? Other than, is it just getting out there in the community, or how does that work? That's that's what we did, man. We we have this, you know, Rutgers, especially now, right? We're a Big Ten school, so Rutgers has a media department. Uh, they have all these things you can do now, but we never used any of that. And it was uh, it was always about the staff and Coach Leonardis. I, I tell this story a lot too. When we first got the job, the first six months, it was two hundred and sixty-five schools we visited uh every day whether it was banquets whether it was clinics whether it was just visiting the high school we just got every high school coach and every club coach and even junior high programs to believe and jump on board and buy into what we were doing and you have to become a fan and and making sure every little kid in the state was wearing Rutgers wrestling t-shirts the power of the t-shirt right uh so that's what we did. We beat the door. We beat the doors down. We, we hit the ground running. We never stopped. Even when we got more guys on staff, our assistant, all of our assistants and our strength coaches, everybody had to go out and do their part in building camps, allowed us to build the relationships with not only the coaches, but with all the kids coming in at that time. So that was a huge part of what we were doing, just constantly trying to build the brand and just sell your program. And we did it by, listen, all we ask you is come to a match bring a group, come to a match. I remember calling all the high school coaches. And, and again, this clearly isn't just me. This is a lot of, a lot of people involved, but we did a lot of it on our own. We didn't really use our marketing. We didn't, you now. now, of course we do, but you know, those early days, it was our staff, you know, making phone calls, shooting out texts, emails, uh, sending out flyers, showing up to some really, really bad high school matches 
but for tournaments. But we did it because we needed to be seen, and and that's really how we built our built our program was based on all those relationships that we built early early on. So uh, the fans the fans have come out. Uh, the coaches in the area have helped in the state have helped tremendously. I like to think I have a really good relationship because it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships and. And our staff did a really good job of building them early on, and they continue to this day. Man, my day job is outside sales. You're a salesman, Coach. <laughs> you are a, a, you're you're an outside salesman. Did you literally go to 260 some schools just meeting and like? We did, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I have the book on on exactly who they were, and I have a notebook stash again somewhere. And one day I'm going to look back on all that and pull them out. And this is probably a good time to do all that just because I'm home, but. Uh, yeah, I have all that stuff stay, saved, and and I actually pulled it out. We did an outdoor match against Princeton maybe five or six years ago in a football stadium, mm-hmm. uh, and we did it in front of sixteen thousand people, which was I mean Iowa did it in front of forty two thousand. It was Iowa Okie State, but we did it in front of sixteen thousand. That was a huge deal for the Rutgers community. Uh, but I remember pulling those things out and going back to all those coaches, uh, and the list has grown now because you know you're in the New York, you're in the PA, so. Uh, but yeah, just connecting with all those coaches and making sure they come out. And now it's turned into an event at the rack. Now they call us. Can we bring our team to the rack? Can we bring our, our midget program, our junior high team to the rack and, and meet your guys. So we never, I think that's always the biggest thing. We're always available. We're always available to, to coaches who want to come in and watch practice. I never close my doors. Uh, and then, and really being available for, if guys wanted to sign autographs, it didn't matter if we were getting a drumming from Iowa on a Friday night, we were going to sit and sign autographs and our guys were going to meet all the little guys that, that came to watch them. Cause you never know who's coming out to watch you. And as it turns out now, all the kids that are coming to Rutgers grew up watching matches at the rack and coming to our matches. So um, that's why you do it. And that's kind of, that was our mindset and our, our whole thought process to it. And that's kind of what we've done. It's just cool because you think about East Coast wrestling. You think about, um, you know, Ivy League. I think I, when I think East Coast, I think Ivy Leagues, right? And there's a certain culture to that. And but then there's also a certain culture to like the Iowa style. And Rutgers has its own culture now and its own style. And it's just fun to to see that and be a, and really to be a part of it. Just watching at the Big Tens this year. Whenever a Rutgers Rutgers guy came up, the whole place went bananas. Um, it was awesome. Like. I can only imagine what it was like when you had Ashnald and, and Soriano on there. Oh, Unbelievable. Yeah, it was um, crazy. I'll send you, when I hang up here, I'll send you a couple clips of uh, of what the crowd was like for, uh, please for do. Ashnall Kalodzic. Yeah, or even Dayton Fix Soriano. That was like Woo. Armageddon. That was wild. Yeah, that was wild. So <laughs> That was yeah, a weird one, so though, if I remember, right? The one with the... Yeah, it was like a 23-minute match. It was the, the challenges and all that stuff. Stuff. It was crazy, and the hands to the face. Yeah, uh, looking at yeah, so that that got crazy. Locking hands. Was there a locking hands? Was it very similar to the national finals, except it was a little bit more controlled, right? Yeah, because you didn't have just eight thousand fans screaming at Coach Smith. It was uh, it was a whole arena was involved in it. So, and they're not all <laughs> Okie State Rutgers or, or just Rutgers. So it was a little bit different. So a couple a uh, couple of quick questions here um, as we kind of wind down. And this is just general curiosity. How hard is it for a school like Rutgers or any program to get someone like Okie State on the schedule? Like, how far out do you have to plan to get a non-conference not, team on the schedule? 
you know, not especially the good ones, not far, because everybody wants to come to Jersey to recruit. So they uh. think of it like we love to come. Like Brands loves coming to Jersey, right? Because he gets a sold out crowd. And he gets this. People love Iowa, right? They love Penn. You know, they love Penn State growing up. They love Iowa. They love Okie State. So John Smith even gave an interview. Yeah, I'd love to come back here. Of course, because you get some of the best kids from the country come out of these high schools. You get to show off your program. So it's not hard to get some of those big schools. Some of the schools maybe we are, we are better than. It, it, you know, I try to schedule now, and it's hard to get them because it's a dual meet. And, you know, there's a lot of coaches that still are under the imprint. You know, they can't lose dual meets, maybe smaller schools. But I, I always say you should really – and it's hard, right? Because you don't want to come off arrogant, but you should really experience wrestling in this arena. It's pretty neat. And uh, so that, I've been able to get some that way. Like Coach Cole from Cornell, we'll do a home and away with them. They love coming here and, and uh, because it's a great atmosphere. It's a great wrestling atmosphere. And I think every – listen, as much as I hate wrestling in, in, in Carver or, or even at Rec Hall, those matches prepare you. They prepare you. So uh, – they prepare you for the end of the year. They prepare you for adversity and everybody against you. And you've got to be able to lock in and focus. And so there's something to be said for that. So I try to get some teams to come in and experience that. And uh, I just think it's a great wrestling atmosphere. There's no doubt about it. It really is. And it's, it's the unique build of rec hall. It's like the steepest to like on, on the kind of on the East and West side of it, it just goes straight up, man. And it's just so yeah. loud in there. It's just, I've never seen a building like it. Um, really ever in sports it's really cool so i you know people who haven't seen a duel maybe like maybe they're wondering what we're talking about or what rec hall is but yeah. it's, it's a very yeah. special you mean the venue. rack you mean the rack the rack sorry rec Hall's Penn State. Yep. yeah the, yep. oh, that's, that's a four-letter word sorry <laughs> the yeah. rack but it the, but the, the rack, rack is very jersey though it's like you're right on top it of is. each other you know, there's like yeah. one entrance to get in that front side it's it's cool yeah um yeah what about the uh, what about this? What about the NJRTC? I know it floats yep. back between you guys and in Princeton. Um, mm-hmm. How has that impacted your program, and and what is having someone like Reese Humphrey around? What's he doing for you guys? Well, it's been it's been great. It's been Reese has been great. You know, Reese is is, is bought into those. That, that was a process where we interviewed a bunch of different coaches, and Reese was out in California. We were able to lure him to come to Jersey and. And the biggest thing was building a team, you know, and that team doesn't need to be 15 guys, but it's been six guys. And he's been able to focus on these senior level athletes that have aspirations of winning Olympic medals and world medals. And uh, that's kind of always been the plan in place. But until you get the resources, it's a hard thing to do, right? You could say you'll use your guys and, and, but these guys are making a living now. They're making a living out of this and not just doing it at Rutgers and Princeton, but doing it all over the country. And it gives them another avenue to continue their their wrestling career. And I think because of the RTCs around the country, USA wrestling has gotten, has benefited from it and has gotten really, really good, obviously. So uh, it's been good for us. And, you know, we put two girl, two guys on the world team last year, Tyler Graff and Pat Downey. That's a big deal. Big and deal. we've only been in existence together really for uh, a year and a half. And we've had two guys on the world team. So there's more and more people that want to come and train. Obviously with us, it's about funds it's about money. It's a financial thing. And now you're getting guys that want to come that already have a family. So you're not just thinking about a college kid. You're not just recruiting a college kid. You're recruiting a whole family. So that gives you some different obstacles, but uh, the RTC has been good. It's, it's allowed, you know, when you first start it, you think you're doing this to benefit Rutgers wrestling. You need to have workout part. And that's true. You know, we want to bring in more guys. So our guys have resources to train with because everybody on the recruiting trail talks 
most important thing, workout partners. I need training partners. Well, we have that. So uh, that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, man, these senior level guys are super important to our program. And as gratifying as it was and how awesome it was to have Suriano and Astronaut win national titles, it was just as satisfying seeing uh, Downey and, and Graf make, make world teams. That was pretty cool because it happened right behind our closed doors. And, and I saw the work that went into it. So that was gratifying as well. Was there a big, uh, like a big peace treaty that had to be signed between you and Princeton to get that to happen? I've, I've never heard of two programs kind of coming together for that. No, How did that idea no, come about? Well, actually, actually, we didn't, we didn't write the book on it. I think Drexel and Penn, because they're so close to each other, started it before us with Brandon Slay. He just okay. alternates between two. Yeah, so no, I think we wanted to use Princeton's resources, right? They come from a lot of money. That's a lot of wealthy people involved there. They probably wanted to use some of our athletes that we already had in the Scarlet Knight Wrestling Club. And it was just, just made sense right now to go, to go back and forth. I don't know if it'll stay this way. You know, I don't, I, who knows with the economic climate, what happens? Do we break up? Do we stay together? But for now it works, you know, they, they pay for their athletes. We pay for our athletes. We just happen to train together. You know, we just happen to train together and gotcha. Reese is up at our place twice a week. He's down at their place twice a week. And, uh, you know, during the summer, we all train together and that's a good thing. And there's kids from when they come home from college, again, what we talked about earlier, where I never had a place to go train. There's guys that come home from whether it's uh, wherever they go to school. There's a place for them to come train, and and it's usually a pretty crowded room with Princeton and Rutgers guys. So it's a pretty good situation. It is, and I, I it's you. I guess I didn't realize that Penn had did it had done it first. But when I first heard that you were going to be doing two at Rutgers and two at Princeton, two practices a week, I'm like man, that's really smart. Just because it, you know, Jersey's yeah. a, a tight, compact state, anyways, but just makes you know, the most of both programs and it's built both up. I mean, Princeton's a legit program now and, and so are you guys. Absolutely. So it, it's yeah. only good to have two, two big rivals in the state like that. Sure. And coach last thing for you. Um, usually we ask people, how did wrestling change their life? And you can answer that, but I've also learned that Bernie Ryder's a big influence in your life. And I always love finding yeah. people who have mentors. And so what, uh, yeah. what about Mr. Ryder? has been so influential on you and how has that kind of shaped and, and molded your life? Well, clearly through this interview, you see how big not only wrestling, but sports were in the town of Jackson. Mr. Ryder was the town of Jackson. Uh, not only was he's the most popular guy, even to this day, he could tell you exactly what pothole is on what road in your development. Like he just, he knew Jackson and part of his thing when he was at Jackson teaching Jackson, he'd bring all the new teachers around and show them all the different developments and talk about the town. So he was Jackson and he was the wrestling coach. He was the athletic director. He was the principal. You know, he was everything. I just never wanted to let that guy down because of what he meant to our town, but also what he meant to our wrestling program. And I just, all the old timers, you always try to get the alumni back and just the way some of these guys talked about Mr. Ryder. I just grew up like, I want to be that someday. I, I hope the guys look at me and it reminds me a lot of my grandfather, right? You know, the way his old players looked at him. So I just always wanted that. And uh, so that's why he was so important in my life. I just, what he did. And, and that's kind of, he was probably my, the bit, the guy I talked to the most and he was a straight shooter. You know, there were opportunities when I was at Jackson to maybe leave and go, and he would always tell me, no, 
no. And I'm like, oh man, I can really advance my, I can really advance my, I didn't really want to leave and I need for him to tell me no. And then when this Rutgers thing obviously opened up, he's like, you got to do this. So uh, yeah, he's the one guy I've, I've always asked professional advice from, and uh, I still meet him to this day. Once a month, we'll meet at a, a local diner and, and uh, he's getting a little older now. So I cherish those times uh, for sure. There's no question about it, but I'm sure there's a ton of people checking in with them and, He's actually a Penn State alum. Uh, he's a Penn State season ticket holder, but he still comes to a lot of Rutgers wrestling matches. But he's the guy I just I just always looked up to. And I didn't really run my program like him. I've heard all the stories. Uh, but, you know, I kind of went on my own about running my program and did some, you know, you have mentors, people you look up to, you read a lot of books. And I've learned a lot from a lot of different people. But Mr. Ryder is the one guy that I just always uh, – just always fell back on just if, especially for important professional advice and things like that well the cool thing about being someone like that is you know he made a big impact on you but just think of all the other people who would say the same thing about oh him. my god oh my god you know i meet with him once a month he meets every day he's meeting that's part of his routine to get up and go to a local a bagel shop or deli a, a diner he's doing it every single day with people that uh, and all we do when we get together is we talk about mr Ryder and And uh, I never had him as a wrestling coach, obviously. And I would love to have been on those teams in the early 80s, late 70s, you know, but uh, just because I hear all those crazy stories and and they were so (laughs) crazy. You can't do some of the things you do, you did then. You can't do them now. So, but uh, he's a special man and he's someone uh, that the town just, just loves. Man, that's awesome. Well, thank you for yeah, sharing that. Crazy. The, yep. the, the actual last question is, since you live in Tom's River, have you ever had Mark Henry's Pizza? I heard it's legendary. Oh, Mark Henry. His, it's not in Tom's River, though. It's in Mercer County area. But Mark Henry is a good friend of mine and trains Frankie, and it's pretty good. Yeah, he does a good job with that. <laughs> pizza's big down the Jersey Shore, man. Pizza's big down the shore. And, and uh, everybody you go to down the shore, they'll tell you they have the best pizza. But Mark Henry does a he makes a nice pie for sure. Sweet, man. Well, Coach Goodale, it's yep. been an honor, sir. I'm really glad we got to schedule this. Yep. Thank you for your time today. Yep. You got it, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.